I loved hearing Amy's story this morning about the good president. When she showed it to me last week and said that's what she was going to tell the kids, I, I loved it. I said, that sounds great. I am totally in favor of that kind of leader. I was a little bit concerned that the book uses a picture of a white male as the example, but some of my best friends are white males, so I know there are some great ones out there, as well as, as, well as other great possible presidents who are not necessarily white nor male. But I also wonder, as we told the kids this story this morning, is whether or not we really told them the truth. Is this one of those things where we tell a story, I won't cite any examples at this moment, but where maybe we sugarcoat that a little bit and don't necessarily tell the whole truth. We give them Santa Claus, but not the Grinch or Mr. Potter. Or we tell them a story about leaders, but we don't tell them about Stalin or Hitler or any of those people. And maybe that's fine. But the reality is that to be a true leader in a democratic system, one has to have a basic sense of decency, I think. I'm convinced that that's an absolute requirement uh, in a democracy. I think we need leaders who tell the truth, even acknowledging that the truth is often shaded one way or another, depending upon your point of view. But the, simp the system doesn't work if our leaders just tell out and out lies. That causes the system to degrade and not function as it should. It becomes hard to know what is real and what isn't. I think we need leaders who genuinely care about people. They may be liberal or conservative, but we need people who actually care. If not, I would suggest the system degrades even further. We need leaders who are committed to a fair and honest process for doing the people's business. We need people who do not cheat, who want everyone to be heard, who want everyone to be able to vote, to have every vote counted, who don't try to manipulate elections through fake news or fake websites, or we don't need people from another country interfering with our election either. These are, these are simple and somewhat obvious observations. We need leaders who are not corrupt, leaders who do not sell their votes to lobbying groups or make unethical or illegal deals. We need leaders who are committed to fair process. We also need to have leaders who are committed to basic civil rights and human rights who are not racist or biased or white supremacist, who defend the rights of all people equally and are committed to a just criminal justice system that 
treats all equally regardless of any category, superficial way we put people in categories. We just need good, just, fair, honest people. Just that. Just like in Amy's story. She nails it. That's all we need. And finally, I think we need leaders who are not just interested in their own private gain or enrichment, but generally care, genuinely care about the common good, care about doing the right thing, whether or not it profits them in the short term or not. I think that's an absolutely essential characteristic of leaders in a democracy and probably anywhere else too, is that they have to be willing to look beyond their own egos and see the larger good that is required. Without that, leadership is distorted and again degrades the system. So we could continue painting this picture of a wonderful leader with, with more detail, uh, but this is the basic sketch, I think. Of course, our leaders are not saints, and I don't even know if saints would make great politicians. That might not work that well. I don't know. As we celebrate President's Day, we know that neither Washington nor Lincoln totally lived up to these high ideals. Washington was a slaveholder, and actually, I found out just the other night, uh, went to great pains to try to recapture a runaway slave. Boy, I did not hear that story about Washington. What I heard was throwing the silver dollar across the Potomac. But Washington did a good thing. He refused to become a despot. He refused to become a king or a tyrant or a dictator, which he could have easily done probably at that time. And I'm grateful for that. Lincoln did not have ideas about uh, racial equality that would really... Uh, seemed to have sufficient integrity in our time, but he did an amazing thing. In his sort of middle of the road way, he freed the slaves who can fail to give him our gratitude and appreciation for that. One of my favorite TV shows is one called Madam Secretary. And it's about a woman who gets appointed to be Secretary of State in a crisis and who goes through all kinds of adventures in that role. So Diane can tell you that I really want to see that show on Sunday night. Uh, and what I like about this show is that it doesn't fail to show the rough edges of political life, the deals, the backstabbing, the secrets, the payoffs, the shady characters, and it doesn't sugarcoat the process. But the main characters in this show do not give up on trying to do the right thing. In the midst of even quite sophisticated understanding of how Machiavellian the whole world is, they still want to do something right, even when it's extraordinarily difficult, and even when the best thing they can do is not perfect. There is that commitment to decency to compassion, to ethical principles. I also like in that show that her husband is a theologian. 
That's his day job. And then he's also in espionage. I call him theology man. And I like him. He's cool. It's a hardball world. But that is not an excuse to become cruel or selfish or tyrannical. We all have to live with that hardball world. What happens to a democratic system when it goes through a period when the basic requirements for a healthy government are in short supply? The ancient Greek philosopher Plato argues in his classic work, The Republic, that democracies are particularly susceptible to degenerating into dictatorships. He's got a long argument about this. He says that the people can easily be aroused in anger, especially if they think somebody else is getting something that they should have gotten. And in this upset and anger, they can be convinced to give up their power to a tyrannical leader. Plato describes how this works. And the democracies are susceptible to this. There's a contemporary author named Timothy Snyder. We did a course on his recent book called Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century, who maps out how these tragic transformations of democracy into tyranny typically take place. And he says, these are the things that will start happening, and then some other things will start happening. And he says, shows how that's observable by looking at European history. Both the ancient Greek and ancient Roman democracies fell into tyrannies. Germany, obviously, Spain, Poland, And the reality is, it could happen to us too. And I think it's very naive of us to think that that would be impossible. I remember when I was a kid, to me, democracy was just reality. It's just the way it is. It's the way God made it or something. Never going to change. But we actually exhibit some of the symptoms at the moment. We live in an atmosphere of fake news created by various levels of lying about things. Some of it really blatant lying. Some of it by the use of new electronic media. And the thing about all this new electronic media is that it creates ways to get away with stuff faster than it creates ways of preventing it. The media works so fast that there are new ways to do things that are harmful much faster than there are ways to prevent it. It's a problem we've got. Some of the lying is created even by a foreign power, as we found out for sure has happened just in the last few days. And that foreign power is not finished with trying that by any means. And the general consensus is that the purpose of that is to destroy democracy or create so much chaos chaos in democracy, democracies, democracies all over the world, that they'll start breaking down and they will cease to function as democracies. And some of the lying 
as you well know, is coming straight from the top, from a leader who we most urgently need to be a model of decency, like Amy's story. So unfortunately, at this very moment, uh, by the way, if you see this differently, then more power to you. Let's, let's go down to Panera's and talk about it. But the regime in power, in the view of so many, seeks to manipulate the judicial branch as well by firing law enforcement officials that it doesn't like. It seeks to create chaos in government agencies by leaving many jobs unfilled and then appointing totally unqualified people to fill other jobs, and in some cases appointing leaders to head agencies who are actively dedicated to sabotaging the mission of that agency. There is a lack of concern for the worth and dignity of all people in our land. Racial bias is the worldview of our current regime. And neither human rights, nor civil rights, nor voting rights are in their mission statement. The word democracy, by the way, I heard from one of the pundits on TV, the word democracy was not used in the State of the Union message. The word democracy did not occur in that speech. You know, there are people out there who count these words. There weren't any of those to count in that particular speech. So we could go into this more, but I'm going to stop talking about this stuff because it's such a nice day. <laughs> so I don't want to be a downer. But I also think we have to confront the reality that our democracy is not in a healthy condition at this moment and is really under attack from various different angles. At Gettysburg, Abraham Lincoln questioned, this is one of the great questions of our society, whether this nation or any nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all are created equal, and we know that he said men, but we have to say all people, dedicated to the proposition that all people are created equal and endowed with certain inalienable rights, can such a nation long endure? Is it possible for such a place that wants to hold up those ideals, can such a place survive? in the world? That was his question on the battlefield of Gettysburg where there was a very immediate question about that. Can such a nation survive without the degeneration into tyranny? And that question is our question too at this moment. I, you may feel I'm exaggerating, but actually I'm holding back. There's an interesting article in the Atlantic Monthly this month by two authors, Jonathan Rausch and Benjamin Wittes, and I hope I said those right, who describe themselves as nonpartisan political analysts. And they both say that 
they agree with some of the policy positions of the administration and of the conservative agenda. But they say that they're nonpartisan and they have written an article, and I'm not going to tell you the title of the article right now, but I promise to tell you before the closing hymn. These two authors again say that they have a fair amount of sympathy with the conservative ideas of the party that currency currently controls the House and the Senate and the White House. But they also argue in this article that the party currently in charge is a threat to democracy. It's a threat to democratic values and the rule of law. And they urge everyone, including Republicans and people of all parties, not to vote for them until they prove that they support the basic values of democracy. That's their argument. They have two arguments. The first one is that the party in charge right now is, first of all, unwilling to oppose the assaults of its leader on the rule of law. It's unwilling to take a firm stand against assaults on the rule of law. And that these assaults, like for example, firing somebody who's carrying out their job as a law enforcement person. That would be an example of that. Or trying to manipulate the law and the uh, law enforcement system to political advantage and to quite possibly try to keep somebody out of trouble. So that's the first one that they say is unaccept that a democracy cannot long survive if the rule of law is not respected. It'll fall apart. Because really, then you, everything, you can do anything, you can get away with it at that point if there's not respect for the rule of law. So that's the first thing that they say is an existential threat to American democracy. Existential means it threatens our existence. The second reason they give is that the administration, in their words, has encouraged a foreign power to interfere with the US election process. They do not assume that there was collusion but what they say is that the administration at least tacitly cooperated with a foreign intelligence operation that is acting against our country. That they made no move to stop it, nor in some cases even acknowledge that that exists. The leader does not acknowledge that that even happened. So they feel that if the leaders in charge do not even acknowledge or take some serious action against a foreign government invading our democratic process, that that's a blatant violation of just and fair and open and honest political process as to be an existential threat to American democracy. So these are the two things they say that in their view are not acceptable and you can't, nobody who doesn't take a stand against that in their view should be supported. I am so encouraged by the way by a number of Republicans who do speak out about this. I, I, I think they are kind of heroes. 
And for this reason, and they say not because of his policies, which they do not take issue with, but because of the threat to the existence of democracy, they argue that he must be defeated because it is a clear and present danger to us surviving. Now, you can, of course, agree or disagree as your conscience leads you to. That's fine. One of the great things about this church, as I'm reminded every Sunday, is you don't have to agree with the minister. <laughs> that is a sacred democratic principle. You see, in our congregational polity, the minister cannot become a dictator, even though the minister might secretly want to. <laughs> Could be a deep desire to be a dictator, but you guys are not gonna let me get away with it because you don't have to agree with what I say. So that's true this morning too. You don't have to agree with what I'm saying. But I don't think we can ignore the arguments and the signs of danger that are in the air. I don't think that's a smart thing to do for us. I don't think it's wisdom to ignore those things. <laughs> but we'll have different ideas, perhaps, about what to do about it. All right, I'm going to tell you the name of the article. Breathe in. Breathe out. The name of the article is Boycott the GOP. That's the name of the article. It's in Atlantic Monthly, March edition. Now, I am not trying to tell you how you should vote. I'm really not. Because I know in this church people vote for all kinds of political parties, not just Republicans or Democrats. This church takes no position on how you should vote. But we do take a position on democracy. That is part of our principles and purposes. It says right here, we affirm the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. This is our principles and purposes. That is an affirmation that we make and that I am proud to stand for. So whoever you choose to vote for or march for or write letters for, I want to proclaim that our tradition of Unitarian Universalism stands for democracy. That's part of what we stand for. And it affirms the value of democratic process as a humane and just and fair way of making decisions. Even though it's not comfortable all the time and it's not pretty all the time. But as far as we, and it can undoubtedly be improved on. Lord help us if it can't be improved on. And we cannot just assume that democracy will always be there. It has to be nurtured. It has to be defended. It has to be supplied with voters and leaders who care about honesty, who care about all the people, not just some of them, who stand up for fairness, who defend ethical process and impartial justice, 
It just won't work any way. It starts to degrade. People start to not pay any attention. They say, oh, it's ridiculous anyway. It starts to not have any structure. There's no place to appeal to when something is wrong, if those institutions don't work. Strangely enough, democracy requires an element of idealism to stay on track. It won't work just in a Machiavellian way. You have to care about it. Grossly unethical people can throw it off track. And left unopposed, they can turn democracy into tyranny. There are signs of that at the moment. So what do we do? I love the quote of Francis Moore LaPay. She says, the cure for democracy is more democracy. That's the cure. We need more democracy. We have to faithfully execute the office of citizen. That's the one most of us are in. We have to vote. We have to ask questions. We have to ask our caring and decent GOP and evangelical friends and family who we love, do they really support the grossly unethical conduct of the current regime? Do they really want to be associated with them? I have to ask my cousin. I've been wanting to ask her, but couple of years, does she really want to be associated with them? We need to support candidates who have the qualities that we so urgently need. We need to write letters and we need to march to spotlight basic issues of human rights and civil rights. We need to stay strong and take care of each other and not let ourselves become exhausted by an intentional strategy of throwing out so many upsetting actions all at once that we lose the energy to respond to them all. Some of us will need to run for public office. Some people in this room will probably need to run, or maybe some of the kids, but don't put it off on the kids. Can't wait that long. Some of us need to run for public office. We need to make allies across the whole spectrum of American life. We need to make allies with everyone from every ethnic group and every religious group and every non-religious group. We need to find allies and join hands with those people. We need to practice democracy in our church in the best and most healthy form that we can. Because if we can't do it, who is going to be able to do it better? We need to not give up the dream. The high school students in Florida are carrying the torch of democracy right now. They are speaking up and they're saying, if the adults won't do it, by gosh, we'll do it. And they are showing us what that means. We need to answer Abraham Lincoln's question. Can such a system long survive? 
We need to answer with a rousing, caring, and purposeful, yes, we can. <laughs>